1926, two organizations were born that would shape the future of performing arts in Youngstown, Ohio. The Little Youngstown Symphony performed its first public concert, starting a legacy that would become the Youngstown Symphony Orchestra. Later that year, the doors to Stambaugh Auditorium opened for the people of Youngstown and surrounding areas. These are the stories, performances, and conversations of artists and supporters of these historic organizations. This is the 1926 Podcast. Hello and welcome to the 1926 Podcast. Today we'll hear from Nick Thompson, Principal Clarinet of the Youngstown Symphony Orchestra and featured guest soloist for the May 7th concert. You'll hear about how Nick got his start in music, as well as a little bit of background info about the piece that he will be playing. Now let's welcome Nick to the show. Can you tell me a bit about how you got your start in music, like how you picked the clarinet, um, how old you were, all that kind of good stuff? Yeah, people ask me when I started clarinet, and I always try to remember. I think I started in fourth grade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fourth or fifth grade. And my dad actually was like a really giant fan of Benny Goodman, um, the jazz clarinetist. So I remember he would listen to that, um, just like, you know, songs by him or Artie Shaw. And then I think I remember him showing me like an album cover of uh, a track, like an album one day, and then it showed the clarinet. And I was like, oh, what's that? And he's like, oh, that's the instrument. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I listened to it. And I, you know, got into that. Um, And then I started bands. And I did bands like all the way from when I started until, you know, like all the way through high school. But um, I didn't actually really take music so seriously. Like you would, if you know me well, you'd be surprised because that's like what I live and breathe every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I just kind of did it as like a hobby, you know, and I enjoyed it. And I had a private lessons teacher. But then when I was a senior, I actually, um, funnily enough, this goes along well with the theme of the piece I'm playing, but we did like a Amadeus concert in my high school senior year, which is like, you know, the movie about Mozart. Um, and we played Mozart's Magic Flute Overture, and I got to play that. And that was like, it really just like opened my eyes and ears to the world of like, you know, orchestral music. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I love this. This is really great. So once I had that moment, then I was like, wow, okay. I think I want to do this for my life, you know, but that's a lot later than some other people because I was like 17 when that happened. So, yeah. And so what was the next step from there? So I grew up in um, kind of uh, the Northern Virginia area. Well, it's called Nova or like the DMV, but I grew up in Great Falls and that's really close to DC. So there's like the National Symphony there and, you know, Baltimore is pretty close. There's also a lot of great you know, universities and colleges. So I auditioned at a couple nearby. And because, like I said, I was kind of like late to the game, I just decided to go to George Mason University um, because they have some really great faculty there, like people that are in the Marine Band or the Air Force Band or Army, Navy, or people that play in the NSO, et cetera. So some really great faculty. And I was lucky to study um, with two faculty members there, one of which who was in the Air Force Band for a while. And then one of uh, which I studied with more, Kathy Mulcahy, she was, um, she played in the National Symphony a lot as an extra clarinetist and a sub. And she had some work up in Buffalo Philharmonic before and um, over in Chicago. And she was like really helpful and, you know, getting me kind of to where I needed to be since I was catching up. And then after that, 
did I was I went there for four years for an undergrad and then I came over here to Michigan uh, and I first I did my master's degree at the University of Michigan and then I took a couple years off to like you know take auditions and kind of finesse my playing and just you know play with a lot of orchestras like Youngstown and like Flynn and Ann Arbor etc and now I'm doing my doctorate um, at the University of Michigan. Oh okay awesome um what is the um I guess, subject of your doctorate. So the doctorate, so the DM, so it's a DMA, uh, technically, so a doctor, doctor, doc, yeah, doctor of musical arts. Um, it's kind of like hard to remember what the actual name is. Um, but so it's just in performance. Um, so it's basically just like getting a doctorate in performing the clarinet at a very high level. But there's also a pedagogical component because um, usually when you get a DMA or like maybe a PhD, in music, um, PhD would be more in like, you know, musicology, which is music history or music theory. Usually that means that you wanna teach at the college level. So for me, it's like, you know, there has to be a very high level of performance, um, but also there's, you know, the pedagogical, like the teaching element to it. So I've had to take, you know, classes in teaching higher ed and just teaching the clarinet in general and like teaching it to other wind players or just musicians in general. You just want to continue on with professional playing, right? You don't have necessarily any ideas on teaching. Yeah, to be honest, like before the pandemic, I was very much interested in mostly performing. I mean, I have a private studio, you know, on the side of like 10 students, but I really like, you know, perform. I liked performing a lot more and I still do, but um, the pandemic was very eye-opening and just how like stable or unstable um, the freelance world is for musicians and like everyone really outside of music too. So I was like, you know, I do enjoy teaching and because, and during the pandemic, I couldn't, there wasn't a lot of whole, there wasn't a whole lot of performing going on. So all I actually could rely on financially was teaching. So mm -hmm. I actually grew to really enjoy the students I had and I got more and, you know, really got invested in like, you know, their lives and their progress. And I was like, you know, actually, I like this, like, maybe I should do a DMA. And I talked with my professor who I studied with for my master's at U of M. And he was like, yeah, I think you would actually be really great for this. So I'm really glad that I just like took that step forward and I'm doing it. So I think I definitely, yeah, I definitely still do want to perform. But, you know, if I could teach at a university, like, you know, in the city, that I'm teaching in or, or just have a full-time teaching job, you know, if that's all I, if that, if I convert to doing more of that, that would be okay too. I think just having a combination of performing like, you know, orchestra, solo recital with some teaching some really great students, like that would be pretty ideal. Is there anything that stands out to you as a challenge when it comes to pursuing a musical career as late as you did? Yeah. I mean, so the area I grew up in, like I said, like it was surrounded by a lot of really great orchestras. And like with that, I feel like came a lot of really great music students. So, so I would say, yeah, like the past 10 years is uh, how long I've been like really into it, like around 2011, 2012. Um, and I would feel like half of that definitely was playing like catch up. And there were people that were like younger than me that were definitely better or they had been interested in it for longer than me. So I definitely like had to contend with that but that was also like kind of a motivation because i was like okay i feel like i can get there eventually if i just you know keep going and then there was a point probably by the time i went to michigan i feel like i had finally well i thought i had caught up and then i went to u of m and i was like wow everyone here is really good <laughs> so <clears throat> so that was kind of like round two of like okay i kind of need to reassess what do i need to change like at that time like i made some equipment changes on my clarinet like 
mouthpiece and reads and just kind of refines like my playing again, just kind of like, okay, how do I, what do I need to do to be even better? And like how many hours a day do I need to practice and how much listening do I need to do and stuff. But actually early on, like I had another teacher who was before I went to undergrad, Kristen Sheridan, and she, this was, it's a little dated. This was like before Spotify. And like, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I had a, iPod, but she she had all these CDs and she basically gave me all these CDs, like recordings of like, you know, Brahms, Tchaikovsky, Mozart, Mendelssohn, whatever, just like every symphony, piano concerto, clarinet concerto, violin, whatever. And she was like, okay, I, like maybe you can't play all this music right now, but you should just listen to it so you can really learn the style and like really grow to love it. And that was actually really helpful um, because I find Maybe I'm just weird, but like a lot of classical musicians I know, they don't like to listen to classical music that much. They like to practice it, but at the end of the day, like they want to go listen to like pop, you know, house, like rock, whatever. And that's like, yeah. I mean, that's great, but like, um, I don't know. I just, I learned so much when just from listening to it. Cause at the time it's like, I couldn't really play it, but I was like, then by the time I got to the chance to the point where I actually could play it, I already knew like the style and the color and the sound that I was looking for. And now look at you, you're the principal in what, two orchestras? Yeah, I'm, yeah, principal in Youngstown, principal in Lima, and I'm acting principal in Flynn. I have been for a couple seasons. We basically just haven't been able to have an audition because of the pandemic. So, mm -hmm. but I've been principal there for like three years now. So, I mean, kind of principal there too. So, yeah. but my technical position is second E flat, so yeah. All right, awesome. So how did you end up with us in Youngstown? Um, let's see, I was thinking about that. That was, I think that was back in 2018, I want to say, because that was so my master's was from, like, September 2016 to April of 2018, U of M ends really early compared to other places. And, you know, I was like, okay, I'm doing my master's, I have some work, but I kind of want some more. And then I remember I had seen an audition maybe the year before or so, but I couldn't take it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I have some friends, actually like Mackenzie Bronze, the principal of the student in Youngstown. I had kind of known of her before and some other people in Cleveland and um, through friends and they had recommended, you know, the orchestra to me and just that entire area. Like there's a lot of great music going on. And then I saw the audition and I was like, oh, this would be fun. Mm -hmm. um, and I had also recently gotten like an another mouthpiece and just like trying to like, um, I was doing a lot of new things at the time with how I took auditions. So I was like, well, let me try these new things with this audition and see how it goes. And mm -hmm. then I won. So it worked, so it worked out. Um, but yeah, I really, yeah, the area is really nice. Like there's just a lot of really, really good music happening in the whole, that whole area of Ohio. So it's like really inspiring. So tell us about the piece that you'll be playing with us on May 7th. Like I said earlier, uh, like when I got into music, it was via Mozart. And I did kind of play the clarinet concerto at the time, but not all of it and not, and it wasn't very good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm glad that I'm getting to play it now um, with the orchestra. So yeah, the piece I'll be playing is Mozart's clarinet concerto. And um, it's a very like big kind of long history about it for clarinetists. It was, I mean, it was basically the last piece that Mozart actually finished. Um, there's there's this catalog number, this um, Kirschel system, but the, the, the like catalog number for it is K622 because he wrote 622 compositions that have been cataloged. And this is the last one that he that he finished. He wrote a Requiem 
um, that's played a lot. That's 626, but he actually didn't finish that. Someone else did. So this is like the last work that he was like, I like this. This is great. Um, and he finished that in 1791. And then he died like, you know, a couple months later. So it's pretty crazy. And there's actually a history of like <laughs> composers writing things for the clarinet and then dying. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no, it's interesting. I don't know. They always they always come to us and are like, oh, this is the most beautiful instrument that I want to write for. You know what I mean? When they're thinking like their last thoughts, but like like Mozart and Brahms and Sasson and Poulenc, like they all wrote their sonatas and concertos, even Nielsen. Like, it's crazy. It, it's, it's a thing. Um, so, yeah, but the clarinet concerto, it's really beautiful. It's in three movements. It's like a fast, slow, fast. Um, but it's very, I like to say very operatic um, because Mozart did write a lot of operas and actually like two pieces, two things before the concerto, he was the Magic Flute, which is one of his most played operas. And then previously like Cozzi Fantute was another opera, but there was this clarinetist at the time called uh, named Anton Stadler. And he basically, I think was in a lot of the opera orchestras that premiered these operas that Mozart was writing. So at some point, Mozart, you know, heard this clarinetist and was like, oh, this guy's really good. You know, like, I kind of want to write more for him. So in the opera parts and opera clarinet parts, he started writing more solos for him. And then um, he also wrote a clarinet quintet, which is like clarinet and string quartet that came before the concerto. But there are some similarities for sure. Mm -hmm. And then eventually he was like, wow, this guy's really good. I'm going to write a concerto for him. And then he did. Um, so that's kind of the history part of it. And then also, more interestingly, originally, the concerto was written for a different type of clarinet called a basset clarinet, which I will not be playing on because I don't own one. <laughs> and they're very, and they're, they're, they play more or less the same. But basically, the point of it is, is that the basset clarinet can go um, a third lower than a normal clarinet can go. So. And back, way back in 1790s, this Anton Stadler guy had basically invented, with with another um, instrument maker, had invented this low clarinet. So Mozart heard it and was like, I'm going to write for that. So the part, like the act, the score I have for this concerto actually has two versions, where if you, you can play it on a normal, like A clarinet, or you can play it on a A basset clarinet. Um, and also, more interestingly, we don't have like the manuscript of this piece. It was lost. So Mozart wrote it um, and he gave it to this clarinetist. And apparently after Mozart died, he, <laughs> the clarinetist either um, lost it, sold it for money or had it stolen from him. <laughs> that's, what, <clears throat> that's what Mozart's wife Constanza says, because she was still alive after he died for quite a while. But so basically, so whenever you buy a score or a, a part of the Mozart, there's, I mean, there are some slurs and there's some, there's some dynamics, but there really isn't a lot on the page because we don't have the manuscript. So we don't know what he actually wrote mm -hmm. beyond the notes, you know, and beyond a couple of things. So it's kind of really fun as a performer because you can kind of, you know, listen, well, you can have your own thoughts and then you can come up with slurs and dynamics and phrase structures and ideas and then you can listen to recordings and see what other people do and be like oh yeah okay they're doing the same thing or oh i've never thought of that like so it's actually kind of fun with pieces written you know later in history it's like we have the manuscript we have you know we have this we have that we have um recordings of the person it was written for playing it so we have this like 
kind of this primary source, but like, you know, there was no way of recording back then. So we have no idea what it sounded like. So it's kind of really fun. Well, is there anything else you would like to add or mention before we go? Yeah, I guess, yeah, one more thing about the concerto I really love is, I think just like you can really hear that he was an opera composer in it because like even in the beginning, like once the clarinet comes in, well, the string opening is really beautiful. And when the clarinet comes in, it's like just really playful and operatic and like it has a lot of flair, but it changes so much. Like as soon as you get into a mood, you're like, oh, he's happy. And then it like suddenly shifts to minor, you know, very dramatically. Mm -hmm. And it keeps on going back and forth. And I think that's what makes it really such an interesting concerto in the first movement. And, you know, the second movement is like this really just like beautiful aria kind of sung by the clarinet. And the third movement is just like a party, basically. I mean, it's a rondo, but it's like really fast with a lot of articulation. And it's like back and forth between the clarinet. And it's, it's really, yeah, it's really fun. It's long um, for a clarinetist. Like, I mean, our, our, it's just because of the form of like the classical era, but it's like, you know, it's like a 30 minute piece, which for us is a lot because we have to use our air and like actually blow. So that's very like endurance wise, it's kind of a lot compared to concertos like later on that come later in time, kind of, you know, like as you go in music history. So, um, but it's really fun. So yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, yeah, I'm, yeah. Like the way I'm practicing for it, like yesterday, um, I basically just like played along with a couple different recordings to try to see like, you know, what are they, like, I know what I want to do, but just to see if I can handle like tempo flexibility in it going a little faster or a little slower, because like, you just never know, like in live performance, you know, exactly what will happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and just, and just trying new things too. Like I have my ideas, but being like, Oh, does this does this crescendo here actually really work? Oh, it does. Okay. Oh, no, it doesn't. Oh, but they do something I really like. Um, and then eventually, it's like I want to do a couple more days of playing along with the recording so I can get used to the sound of the orchestra. And then, thankfully, my girlfriend is a pianist, so you know there's a piano reduction of this. So it's like in a week that I want to try just playing through it like multiple times just with piano. Like so, it's like real time, like accompaniment, like feedback off of my playing. So yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, because I've never. Yeah, I've, I've played solos with, with, well, with like orchestra and undergrad before. And actually I've played the first movement of this concerto, but with band, like chamber wind. So that's not quite the same thing. Um, but playing a whole 30 minute concerto is like quite, quite an ordeal. Yeah, for wind players. So it's like, okay, I had to come up with like a, like with a plan. So <laughs> it's kind of fun, like testing that and going through it, you know. Thank you so much for joining us, Nick. We all look forward to the May 7th concert. Tickets are available at youngstownsymphony.com.